Welcome back to another episode of Victim Meet Advocate. March is Criminal Justice Month, and according to the Academy of Criminal Justice Sciences, Criminal Justice Month was enacted by Congress in 2009, and its purpose is to bring societal awareness to the causes and consequences of crime along with strategies to prevent and respond to crime. As system-based victim advocates, we are here or we are always assisting victims in ways to prevent and respond to crime. One of those ways is through protective orders. In previous episodes, you heard us encourage victims to petition for protective orders as part of a safety plan. Some of you might be asking, what exactly is a protective order? Protective orders are court orders that are meant to protect a person from harm or harassment. These court orders can include elements that will protect a person's safety, like no contact, and not to terminate utilities. We have different courts that will issue protective orders. Those courts are General District Court and Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court. What court you will petition in depends on your relationship to the respondent. In a criminal case, we use the terms victim, prosecution, defendant, and defense. In the civil process, the person petitioning is called the petitioner, and the person that the protective order is against is called the respondent. Um, And then just some disclaimers. Um, The process that we're going to explain to you is what happens here in Gloucester, but in different places, it happens differently. So what courts you'll go to, um, who fills out your paperwork with you, all that stuff is different. So I'm sure the first question you're wondering is if you need to petition for a protective order, where do you start? So first, there are three types of protective orders in Virginia. Those are the emergency protective order, a preliminary protective order, and a permanent protective order. While they sound like they are a three-step process, it really isn't. You can start with a preliminary protective order or an emergency protective order. However, you need a preliminary protective order in order to obtain a permanent protective order. Most people see a magistrate right after an incident happens and petition for an emergency protective order. Either that or like if the officers come out to your house, they may go to the magistrate when they're taking out their charges and add um, an emergency protective order onto that. Um, These emergency protective orders, or as we're going to refer to them as EPOs, last for about 72 hours. So you do not need the EPO to petition for the preliminary protective order or the PPO. Um, And so this helps uh, a lot with these EPOs if your incident happens over the weekend and you need that immediate protection before our courts open, say, on Monday. And like most courts, they're not open on the weekend, so that's where the EPO really comes in. Um, So the PPO is the starting point for a longer term protection. If the judge grants you a PPO, it will last for up to two weeks. At the end of those two weeks or somewhere in the middle, depending on the situation, there will be another hearing for you to ask the judge for a permanent protective order. And we're going to touch on this hearing a little later in the episode. So you might be wondering at this point, which court hears what protective orders? If you and the respondent are not related and have not lived together in the past 12 months, then you will be in general district court. So some examples of this are boyfriend and girlfriend who haven't lived together or next door neighbors. Um, If you and the respondent are related or have lived together in the past 12 months, then you will petition in the Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court. This can get confusing on what the law defines as related, so check your local victim witness, or you can Google the Virginia Code to find the definition of a relative. And also, when you go, um, you'll talk with one of us, and uh, we as victim advocates can tend to ask a lot of questions, and sometimes they can be a little invasive, but we're just trying to figure out which court it's in. Um, So some of these relationships require even that you've lived together in the past 12 months to be heard in in JDR. So once again, just remember that each state and locality, they operate differently. So um, just see your local victim witness when you go to get the most accurate information. And so if you are in Gloucester and you need to petition for a protective order in GDC, then you're going to start with us. We're located on the second floor of the Gloucester County Courthouse inside the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. 
And once you're here, we'll fill out the paperwork with you. And when you need to petition for a protective order, there's some pieces of information that you will need to bring with you. You will need to know the respondent's address. So should your PO uh, protective order be granted, the police will need to know where to serve the respondent with their copy. You will also need to have your ID or something with your name and picture on it. And then after all these things, we will have you fill out the affidavit while we type up the contact and demographic information. And then the affidavit, the affidavit is a statement that explains to the judge why you are requesting the protective order. So after you fill out that affidavit, we'll take your paperwork with you to the clerk's office. The clerks will swear you in and submit your paperwork to the judge. The judge will review your paperwork and decide on whether to grant and deny your petition. If granted, then you will be served a copy of the protective order and the respondent's copy will be sent to the police for service. It is important to note that the preliminary protective order or the permanent protective order does not go into effect until both parties have been served. We will attend, as victim advocates, we'll attend the next protective order hearing with you to support you through the process. Um, it's also important to know that we are not allowed to give you legal advice. Um, so we can go with you and explain to you how the process works, what kind of questions judges are gonna ask you, but we cannot go up to the council table with you and we cannot talk to the judge for you. Um, so the process for Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court is very similar to GDC. Instead of starting with victim witness, you'll go to the court services unit and they are located on the first floor of our courthouse. Um, so CSU Court Services Unit, they have a lot of different moving parts and a lot of different people, but they work with families and juveniles and things of that nature. So they have some specific questions um, that's on their petition that we don't have in general district court because we realize there's more layers that you might need for protection. Um, and then they'll fill out the paperwork with you and they'll have you fill out the affidavit. Um, and then the Court Services Unit will swear you in and walk you to our office. Once at our office, we'll explain the process with you again and walk with you to the clerk's office to turn in your paperwork. The judge will call you into the courtroom and ask you to explain why you would like the protective order. When in this hearing, it's important to note that you need to stick to the last six months of the issues that caused you to petition for a protective order. You also need to be very specific. So for example, if you say the respondent harassed you, the judge is gonna to wanna to know what you mean by harassed. Or if you say threatened, what were the exact words that the respondent used? Just like in general district court, once the judge decides to grant you your protective order, you'll be served with your copy and the next hearing date. We will go with you to this hearing as well. Also, just like general district court, the protective order does not go into effect until both parties are served. And it would be remiss of us to not mention ICANN. So as of right now, the service is only for general district court, but ICANN is a great service that you can use from your own home if it's safe to do so. So ICANN will ask you questions to assist you in filling out the paperwork that you need to petition for a protective order. They're gonna make sure that you're in the right court and you have all the information that's needed. If you use ICANN, you can print it out and bring it with you. And all we would have to do is notarize your affidavit and then send it down to the judge. If you don't have access to a printer, that's fine. We can log into your ICANN and we can print it at our office. Um, ICANN is really good because it breaks down the questions in easy ways because when you look at a paper it can be a little intimidating and you know a little overwhelming especially when you've been through a really hard event. Um, so it makes this process a little less stressful and you can find the link to ICANN on the episode page of this podcast or on the Virginia Supreme Court website. Now that we've talked about how to petition for a preliminary protective order let's talk about the protective order hearing process. So this is the same for both courts. Once you, once you have been issued a preliminary protective order, you will have a court date to come back in two weeks. And at that hearing, the respondent will need to be present as well. The hearing will start with the judge asking you as the petitioner if you would like the PPO to continue with all the same terms and conditions previously set. And if you say yes, the respondent says they, that they object, then the judge will continue a hearing. 
During that hearing, the petitioner will get to testify first as to why they want a protective order, and the respondent will be allowed to ask questions of the petitioner about what they testified to. And if, they, if no attorneys are present, the judge will act as a moderator between you two and will let both sides know if their questions are inappropriate. After the petitioner testifies, the respondent will be able to testify as to why there should be no protective order. The petitioner will be able to ask questions that are relevant to the testimony given, and then after that, the, uh, after the hearing, the judge will decide a determination. If granted, you can receive a protective order for up to two years. Um, so let's say, so there's some more process to protective orders, but let's just say that, for instance, the judge didn't grant your protective order that you asked for, or the respond, or you is granted and the respondent is upset with that. There is an appeal process for protective orders where that information will go up to the circuit court judge and you'll have the same kind of hearing that you just had in lower court um, in the circuit court. And then another thing that people ask is how do you amend a protective order? So let's say that like three or four months down the road, you've decided that your protective order right now that says no contact and no hostile contact, you would just like no hostile contact so that you can have contact with your respondent. The way that works and the way that we always advise you to do is to first contact the clerk's office because they're gonna have the most updated information and they're gonna know the paperwork. Usually what you do is you go and you get a piece of paper, you fill it out and you'll write down what the current order says and what you would like for the judge to amend. Most of the times this can be done where you're just going right before the judge right then and there, but sometimes they'll need to set it over um, to have a full hearing and notify the respondent that there is a change coming. One of the most important things that our judges like to remind people, and we like to remind them as well, is that the only time a protective order can be changed is if a judge of competent jurisdiction does it. So just because, say, you've decided you don't want the protective order anymore, you have to go through those certain steps in order to make sure it's dissolved to keep um, most of the time your respondent away from getting into any trouble. Absolutely. So then the third thing to mention about protective orders is something called full faith and credit. So if you live in Virginia, let's say, and you get your protective order here in Gloucester, and then you decide to move to like North Carolina or Kansas or something like that, um, most states have what's called full faith and credit. So those states will honor your protective order. So let's say that the offender calls you or drives out to the state you're in and tries to have contact with you, um, that state will honor your protective order, even though it's issued out of a different state. And then so I figured we would end this episode a little differently than normal. And so since the world has been plunged into kind of a sort of chaos and uncertainty right now, I wanted to address the helpers. They always say that in moments of chaos or crisis to look for the helpers. So Shannon, I'm going to start with you and then we can move to Chelsea. But I wanted to ask both of you, why is it that you became a helper and a victim advocate? That's a hard question. Um, uh, so I really, when I was growing up, I knew that I always wanted to help people and I had kind of started off where I wanted to be a police officer because my great grandfather was one. Um, but then, you know, when I kind of started going through school and like learning and interning, um, a friend of mine actually said, hey, I'm a victim advocate. I think this would be perfect for you. And I was like, what's a victim advocate? I don't know what that is. Um, so I looked into it and I decided that this was perfect because I feel like when you're an officer, you, you intervene right then and there and then you send them on their way through the process. But when you're an advocate, you're there through the highs, you're there through the lows, and you can kind of be that person who's going to extend that helping hand and be a guiding light in kind of a really stormy sea. What about you, Chelsea? I think I've always wanted to be a helper. I didn't really know what that looked like until I got an internship working in Victim Witness when I was in school and they hired me on because I fell in love with this job. That's really why I became a victim advocate was just to help people and be that like resource or that like familiar face, that kind face while you're going through something traumatic. What about you, Vince? 
Um, so I, I'll piggyback off Shannon a little bit. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do something in the health profession and something with helping others, um, but I wasn't sure what that looked like until I really got to college. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with psychology. And a lot of my jobs in the beginning were research-based, doing a lot of neuroscience stuff, which is not at all the same as what we do now. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to do something a little bit more personal and a little bit more hands-on with people. Uh, so this was a really good fit. And then all of my aspirations for uh, further education are in kind of crisis and trauma response. Uh, so this was a great fit to be able to come and help those that are suffering uh, and have been victims of crime. Um, so that was it for us. So we will see you all next month when we celebrate uh, National Crime Victims Rights Week. Um, and this has been Victim Meet Advocate. Thank you.